Hello, dear friends, and welcome again to the Learning Future podcast and this season on Education Transformed. Today, it's my absolute delight. It's always my delight. But I tell you, today, it's it's going to be a fascinating conversation with Romana Sheikh. Um, and she is an incredible educator, uh, leader in in India, based in Bombay, in Mumbai. Um, and she often asks this question, uh, which is, what does it take to create deep and meaningful change for all? And I have to say, uh, ever since we connected at Salzburg Global Seminar, I was, I've been very taken by, I think, the multidimensional understanding that Romana brings to her work um, in trying to transform public education in India um, and look at new school models. But ultimately, with her experiences as a coach, um, as someone that has worked uh, for Teach for India for a period of time, as well as the director there leading leadership development. Yeah, it's going to be a wonderful conversation. And so, Romana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Luca. I'm very, very happy to be here. And I'd, uh, I'd like to just take a moment to start by uh, by greeting, greeting you, greeting our listeners. Um, so, assalamu alaikum which is peace be with you, and namaste, which means the divine in me sees the divine in you. And uh, I like to start like that as a way of just honoring my culture and the, the journey it's been for me really to come back to mm. embracing my culture and also honoring the, the people that have come before me, my family, my ancestors, Without whom, I think, without the path that they trod before me, I would not be here with you. Mm. So thank you for having me. And uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's a wonderful way to start any, any conversation. And, and, you know, you would know in Australia, we often do an acknowledgement of country, which is to acknowledge the ongoing human connection. Um, and I'm recording this on the Bidjigul Gadigal country of the Order Nation in Eastern Sydney today. And your, your reflection on the ancestry, I think, is so powerful for all of us, you know, and especially when we talk about transformation at any level, especially system or school or organizational transformation, you know, it's this idea of like, where have we come from? And one of my favorite sayings actually is uh, that we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. Mm. It's such a beautiful reflection, right? On like, oh, wow, that's true. At some point, I was just an idea. Um I was a hope, I was a dream that, you know, my Greek and Welsh ancestors, in my case, had. It's such a beautiful start. So thank you, Romana. And yeah, I think through that lens, give us your take right now on not just the work you do, but who you are in the world in terms of like the transformation opportunity that we have at all the different levels from, you know, intrapersonal all the way up to perhaps planetary. I mean, big question, I know, but... Yeah. What's your reflection? Like, what are you exploring right now? Or what are you learning right now that you think is really pertinent? Yeah. I think building from the, the acknowledgement of ancestry, I think I've been present to this idea of just time a lot. Mm. Um, and if we were to extend from your quote to what does it mean for us to be good ancestors? Mm. <laughs> And could we look at everything we do in the world today from really that much longer 
span of time, which is not linear, but still it gives us a bigger window to think of generations to come. Mm. Um, and so I think that's been the frame within which I've been exploring a, a lot of things. And, and one of the things I think uh, within that, that uh, I'm, I'm sort of trying to find my way back into has just been the my my embodied sense of my ancestry mm. uh, and i carry it and I, I carry my ancestry in me um but what does it mean to to really tune into that and how can i um my practices in the recent few years um around whether it's meditation or yoga or whirling or dance They've all been practices that have come from so many ancient wisdom traditions. And they're still there. They're available for me to partake in. Mm. They're available for me to, to learn from. And, and that's sort of been a, a, an entry point I've been exploring to reconnect with that which, which has been lost to many of our cultures and definitely for mine. Wow. Take a oh, fantastic moment. Take us into um like when we think about transformation as a concept, um, or maybe when we think about transformation as a state of being, you know, what is what's your reflection on that? Because a lot of the work that you do now, as as far as I can tell, is is really focused on not improvement paradigm or not tweaking assist. It very much is like a, a complete I wouldn't say invent, I'd say remembering of perhaps, mm. you know the rich tradition of what it means to be human. And this is something we focus on all the time at the learning future, of course, is this human centered future in a, you know, within a life centered design frame, you know, life giving and how can we move towards abundance and flourishing and thriving? So yeah, what is your perspective and what, is, what are you finding is, is possible um, in terms of transforming education? Um, yeah. What's your, What's your perspective as of, as of, as of today? <laughs> Thanks for asking that. And, and I really appreciate how you broadened it from transformation as a lens of being. Um, and I think that's really the, the key entry point to stop seeing education as this one institution, uh, but to begin to recognize that what is the role that education needs to play for our world, for our planet today. And, and from there, if, we come to, yes, it's a transformation of the state of being we're in. Uh, I think it really begins to make us pause mm. uh, because then we have to pause and say, okay, wait, what's the, what's the entirety of our, of our life uh, as human beings? And then what's the shift? So I talk a lot about how uh, systemic transformation mm which think of as the outside work is, is really about this, this inner work of recognizing how the systems we've grown up in have shaped the choices we make today, have shaped who we are today, uh, and hence have shaped the kind of education that we're, we're driving today. Yes. And That's good. Uh, it's great. Keep going. That's really that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, I wanted to just link to, to three ships that I think of today uh, in this lens. Um, and all of them sort of, I think, come from 
come from really ancient wisdom. I don't think it's new information, but it's stuff we've lost. Mm. Um, and I think the first, the first one I would say is a shift from this idea of self-improvement to self-discovery. Mm. Nice. The second would be a shift from, from separation and individuation to oneness and unity. Uh, and the third idea is around a shift from being served by the planet to being in service of the planet. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, that's, I mean, all three of those, I think, really resonate with me clearly. And also, I think some of the, some of the new narratives that I'm noticing, mm. be it, you know, the UNESCO Future of Education and New Social Contract report, for example, a seminal generational report that frames these things about rather than us extracting from the earth, realizing we are nature and therefore <laughs> must interact <laughs> in service of, of thriving. Um, how do you, what are kind of some examples you would say in terms of looking at education today? of that shift taking place or of kind of where we find ourselves now in 2023 in this moment post kind of post COVID. Um, you know, do you see us, where do you think we're making progress? I guess is my question. Yeah. I think we've begun to shift the conversation definitely around asking what is the purpose of education? We're asking about well-being and thriving, and that sort of begun to really come into the narrative in some places. Uh, it may show up as social-emotional learning. It may show up as yeah. increased awareness of mental health. Um, so I think there's there's definitely a shift in narrative. Uh, I think in practice is is probably where um, there's there's few examples. When we look at places, so in, in some of our schools, what we've been noticing is um, there's a lot more that's happening, which is more hands-on. So whether it's the learning from nature, learning by being in nature, uh, many of our schools, there's schools in Armenia that have made time to do, to just go back to gardening. So mm. children garden, um, and it's such a beautiful way of, going back to really connecting in a very concrete way with the earth, um, but also watching life grow. And as a child to realize, oh, I can nurture life. I can see how it grows. Um, another shift we've been seeing uh, in some of the schools in India has been, and in Sierra Leone, but how we're bringing community back into school uh, and, and really mm -hmm. trying to shift that relationship that you don't just come to school to get a report card of your child, but you're part of this. School is a community again. Uh, and so there's celebrations that happen with families in schools. There's uh, times when family members come in and they run lessons for kids where they can teach the things that they know uh, mm. or even just well-being circles together. So families, teachers, children, having that sort of time together where they can reflect on how it's been. And I think some of this started during COVID because, because you began to see so clearly that um, children and families needed something different. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, something different from education. Uh, and there was an opportunity there to be able to redefine community itself, mm. to recognize that school is not in that building and, and community is not in that region, but it's community is beyond those physical walls. Mm. Um, I think these have been shifts that uh, that we're beginning to see, not just in our schools, but in the narrative and in many other conversations happening. Fantastic. Um, there's so many things I want to click in, <laughs> click on to there, you know. The idea of experiential learning is kind of one. The idea of the parents being part of part of the learning school. I mean, I, I, one thing that we often reflect here is the shift from the institution, which you've spoken to, towards an ecosystem lens and and the idea that actually we're all elements of this constantly evolving dynamic human system. And you can almost go beyond the human now, right? And this, and you know, you see some really wonderful articulations of this, which is, you know, it's not so much human-centered design, what is what we need, we need life-centered design, yeah. right? Because that expands the frame once more. There's no point focusing on the user, you know, if the user is living in an environment that's not conducive to their overall thriving. And that means optimal learning and mastery as much as it means also social and, and emotional health. Yeah. So, what what are you seeing in in your work at Kigazi or at and you can give us a bit of a more of a sense of like that's one of the roles that you play in the world um, in terms of which kind of models or which I don't like the word interventions necessarily I feel like that's that's a bit industrialized right it's really you know what kind of approaches or what possibilities are sticking in terms of shifting the way that learning and teaching is taking place but also in how kind of becoming um is being woven into you know this and i think this is where we began with identity you know yeah. stepping as who we are and one of and one of our favorite sayings is it's not what you know or what you do with what you know it's who you are as you do things with what you know the deeper level of character you know we need a character world in a, mm -hmm. in a creation economy um yeah what's your reflection with that in terms of what you're seeing that's that's sticking um yeah um, so at, at Kizazi, we work as a, as, a, as a global intermediary. So in each region we work with, we look for a local leadership. We look for a local NGO that works in, in schools, uh, in the public schools. Um, and the idea behind that was to say that the models of schooling we need today uh, really deeply need to be contextualized. Uh, mm. And so we can't create them. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. Um, so let's really inquire with local leadership into what's mm -hmm. that, what is needed here, what is needed there, and, and acknowledge that it's different. Uh, and so in doing this work now in, in India, in Sierra Leone, in Armenia, um, and we've, we've also worked with a group of um, school leaders and entrepreneurs across uh, different countries in Africa, I would say the there's this three pieces, and this is something we're we're just about beginning to write, and we're seeing similar. One is this idea of um, of connection and uh, and really meaningful relationships. So, what is that relationship between a teacher and a child? Uh, and and it's been in a certain paradigm. It's been in the paradigm of teacher knows, teacher tells teacher teaches yes. uh, and student receives. Uh, but what if we 
began to see uh, students as children, not just as students, but as children, then could we also see teacher as human, not mm. just and and then can we also see parent not just a parent but as human um so in this broader theme of whole child uh, we talk a lot about ho contextual whole child and then whole school and within this theme of whole child it's this idea of really connecting to each other as humans yeah. uh, and so that takes um, that takes a place and time in the school very differently We've seen schools prioritize time to, to just sit and talk with each other, uh, to sit and really be curious about, okay, how was your day and what are you learning and, and who are you? Not just mm. how are you going to get better, mm. who are you? What are you learning about you? Um, and I'm curious, I'm really interested in knowing that. Um, so that kind of connection where we can truly just see each other Mm. wholeness um that's an idea that uh, i think families children teachers have all found so simple <laughs> so yeah. intuitive and yet it's just been like oh i never knew my children like this before or um, i don't have to control the class anymore you know i can just uh trust that my my students my children will create learning uh, so I think it's been a very liberating sort of expansive experience to allow teachers, children and families to just be their whole selves um, in school the way they show up. Um, I think that's one of my most favorite uh, shifts that, that we've seen stick and come mm -hmm. into very tangible practice, very tangible changes. And OK, we're going to spend 30 minutes in a school day. 15 minutes at the beginning, 15 minutes at the end in investing yes. in just each other. Ramana, how, that's beautiful. How, how, would you, how would you respond to someone that says we don't have time? <laughs> what would you say to a person like that who's well-intentioned, of course, and saying, well, we, like, we have to teach so much content and you know, yeah. we care about the kids. What would you say to a, to a person like that? I was thinking in that way, I would say. I, I think I would um, genuinely honor and understand that because the way school has been designed for years, right, decades, we have not given the time. So the very structure of the school, and that's, that's how it becomes systemic, mm. has taught us this message that what's more important between relationships and results is academic results. Mm. And so it's not enough for me to just tell a teacher or a school principal, hey, you've got to do this. We have to recognize that something has to change about the design of the school and what we value. So if we keep measuring just something, mm. every time we go to school, we only ask for something and all of that becomes learning. It's not shifting the message. The second I would say is, uh, it's not enough to expect the adults to suddenly live and lead in a way that they haven't experienced themselves. <laughs> Definitely. So our entry point with all of our schools is to create this space for connection with the adults first. Yeah. Does every teacher and every head teacher have a space 
where they are just sitting and saying, okay, how am I feeling today? And, you know, what's, what's, what's going on with me? Mm-hmm. Um, and so my experience has been that when we've done that with teachers, you just feel it. You recognize, oh, this is such a big difference. It's making a difference to my life. Yeah. Um, and it's that experience of feeling valued, of feeling seen, that once a teacher or any adult in the system experiences, that's what will flow. Yeah. They will just do it. Then it doesn't even have to be a separate 15 minutes. You could integrate it into your history lesson. Mm. Um, point is not the time. Right? The point is the attitude and that experience of just caring for each other. So I would say, yeah, and, and how has that been for you? How does it feel for you as a teacher that you don't really have time to get to know your kids? Mm. I need to make time to really listen to what is that teacher trying to tell me? Mm. They're not pushing back on me. Mm. They're j- sharing a genuine challenge that, hey, I want to, but I can't. So yeah. that's my opportunity then to lean in and say, mm. okay, let me connect with you here. Mm. That's so wonderful, Ramana. If if we take that one level up from, or maybe I like to think one level down from, um, from a systems view uh, to kind of elevate the educators themselves and the students, you know, and children as whole people, um, even above that. But what is the system responsibility to help educators do that work more? easily and i think as you're talking about there needs to be a direct experience you know for example it's it's pretty difficult to cultivate agency with learners if the educators themselves don't have a sense of agency and and i think this we get this wrong the same with student focus on student well-being misses the point it's it's well-being for all within this learning ecosystem right because teachers that aren't well looked after are not well supported to be able to their state of being, even if they're doing the practice, the state of being is such that it's compromised um, as they do their important work. So what would you say is a system responsibility or like a feature of a system that can support that uh, more powerfully? And here now by system, we mean like people in power? Yeah. I would, yeah. So for example, you know, I, when I think of the system elements, I start to think of teacher training or of numbers of minutes that must be taught or of curriculum um, expectations and standards and testing and all the things that kind of features that really try to create coherence uh, in a good way and in a bad way, control and command, I think, which is the transition we might be seeing um, in terms of the system change required, right? But yeah, well, what do you think is, is most needed? From a system level view. Yeah. Um, I think what we've um, missed out on from a systems level is the system is so far from the lived experience of a child today Mm. uh, that they're operating, as you said, in trying to create coherence. uh, But in some ways, it's so... Um, vague and abstract. What? What is? Who is this child? Who is this teacher? Um, so I wonder about what are ways to 
again bring make make it personal again make this system that has become impersonal something out there something about the structures what does it mean for us to cultivate relationships and whoever that is in the line right so for mm-hmm. us they are local ngo partner interacts with government what is the conversation they're having with their government and is it only about the numbers or is it also creating space for a child to come in for a student for a a uh, teacher to come in and so making it personal so there's yeah. relationship then uh, and the purpose of that again would be to reanchor in context um so we're asking and and trying to open up this conversation about in your system what do your children need what do your teachers need uh, mm-hmm. and acknowledging that from this this wholeness lens yeah um I think the tension over there that I've been experiencing which is probably the next one for us to explore is this notion of time. Yeah. Uh it feels like a lot of government systems operate again under a lot of pressure uh of of having things done in like a, a one year plan and a three year plan and a five year plan. Um so I wonder what it would mean for us to begin to again uh stretch that idea. Mm. there might be some things you want to do in one year but if we're trying to fundamentally transform a system can we also hold that longer term lens so i'm not asking you to to throw everything out today yeah how do we work towards what you said right more agency for the teacher mm-hmm. going away from a scripted curriculum to just having uh to investing in the teachers to understand like okay what what would be a 10 year journey for a child not the curriculum for 10 years but mm. this child over 10 years um and that's not going to change in one year perhaps but the orientation i think when we ground on context mm. when we shift the evidence we collect so from collecting just academic data can we start collecting evidence on how are students just emotionally regulated in class yeah what are the kind of trauma histories children are bringing in yes how is that showing up when we start broadening right what we look for yes which is something that yeah i i think we are seeing happen because what gets measured gets managed and we value what we measure and so that's yeah that reflection is a really powerful one and i i like your language even about you know we have data over here and people are obsessed by data but really it's evidencing which gives us more space to kind of really understand the human experience yes. is that right is that your your impression yeah and i think again it can go down the same route that we are in so i'm not saying that we simply change the metric and now start chasing new metrics <laughs> cool because we're we're shifting the paradigm of education So how can we use evidencing yeah to explain and to understand and expand our view of what children need mm. it's not to say okay here's five new goals now mm. Mm. it's not to say now you have to improve in language and maths and self regulation and social emotional skills that's that's not it it's saying can we expand the way we look at and understand the entire human being and what's needed so it's a way of understanding context mm. um 
So I think it's important to do that and to keep the relational personal perspective because again otherwise data becomes impersonal it becomes just something you see on a on a spreadsheet so i think mm. that's really a challenge of this time to use evidence but use it like you keep repeating in a human centered way in a way it serves life to move forward uh not just replaces the dashboard yeah yeah i i want i want you to explore this a bit further for us because i often think about the kind of efficiency paradigm that's baked into education and again and i i refer to these as legacy mental models or legacy systems right that um sometimes are palliative right and they're on life support and we should in some ways transition them to the next stage you know like a death and a rebirth quite literally you know and whatever and so um but yeah i do wonder about even the focus on scaling you know like we want to scale this approach and i'm I mean, I agree, we do want to scale innovative practices and pedagogies, ways of teaching that make the biggest impact. Like, yes, we want to do that. But I feel like there's something around the essence we sometimes lose when we have a scale paradigm as opposed to what I might call a spreading paradigm, right? Which is you plant the seeds in all these places. And of course, the environment will cause that practice to be unique because of this question you keep on coming back to, which is wonderful. It's like, what, what is truly needed? It's such a great question. And when you ask, you start with the question, not the answer. I think then, you know, the right answers can be found because we've, we're kind of starting with the question. What's your, what's your view on that? You know, the efficiency paradigm scaling versus spreading. I agree with you. I think, uh, if we came back to the, the, the stepping into seeing our position here from, are we good ancestors? Mm it would shift how we think about results and time frame for one. Um, so, I, and I think efficiency comes from that need to see results in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that I can scale something everywhere comes from the idea that, hey, one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Both of those are, are kind of colonial ideas. Yeah. Within my own country of India, there is so much diversity. I can't, the, a child in where I live in an urban city of Mumbai, their life and my life, just by function of a few social indicators, where I live, where they live, what religion I come from, what religion another person comes from, it fundamentally changes uh, who I am and hence what I need. Um, so I think when we think about scaling, it's it's important to ask the question, what are we scaling and in service of who? Um, and will it really meet the needs? So instead of scaling, when we think of spreading, as you said, there's a connotation in spreading that I'm reading into, which is again about agency and choice. Yeah. That I've spread the seeds. And if it works, it will get picked up. Mm. The other way we could think about it is recognizing that there are systems, the invisible systems, yes. that are making us continue to act in certain ways. Yes. So I have an internalized system of do, 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 uh, which is a very particular, if I may say so, masculine way of life. Uh, <laughs> you may <right>? say so. <laughs> 
Yeah. I have a lot of internalized uh, a patriarchy, which yeah. will make me act in certain ways. And I will constantly be in this rush of needing to prove myself, needing to be loud, have the answer. Um, and so when I keep coming back to recognizing it as, as a system that needs to change, mm. it's again asking that question of, are my ways of operating in the world are they just a new packaged version of something that I'm trying to break to begin with? Mm. So if yeah. I've changed from English education to now saying uh, English and maths, I'm still perpetuating a certain system. I'm expecting children to learn in a second language, in a third language, and just made that a bar. Mm. But I'm perpetuating just because I'm doing it better and getting <laughs> results doesn't mean it's what that child needs. Yes. So interesting. Oh my gosh. I, I want us to go in a slight direction. You just opened something, Romana, for me. Just, you know, we've only, we're not, we're not got that much time left. But, you know, this idea, I've heard this saying before, it's not my own, but it's the idea that an obsession with scale is male and pale. <laughs> it's <this> really, <laughs> really interesting way of thinking about, you know, the kind of idea of like, crushing it and like yeah i'm a machine i'm an you know i'm an animal like that kind of element i think is i believe it is patriarchal but i don't believe yeah. it to be kind of what i try to extricate from that is is kind of and this is what i'd like you to reflect on because i think you might have an answer to this is like the role of the divine masculine and the divine feminine if we use that language right so we're going in a slightly different direction here but because the idea i think is um structure progress good mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. obsession with more is kind of a pathology that has taken us to the brink of ecological collapse, right? It's baked yeah. into our economic system, late stage capitalist systems, which we're going to have to evolve lest we, uh, you know, not have an environment that can sustain our, our life really. Um, what about, what's your reflection on that? Big question. I know. Big question. We could do a whole other episode. I know we could. I was like, I think I'm going to go in this direction and see what happens. But, um, yeah, because it's not it's not something that we would talk about in a class, like in a school system thing. We don't talk about polarities very much, right? But it's something I'm very curious about when you look at even societal design or the future of work or, you know, even third wave, third wave feminism or the men's rights movements now or healthy masculinity, which are all spaces I'm trying to understand more and contribute to. Yeah, I'd love your vantage point from Mumbai as someone that has worked quite a lot in, I would say, in, in kind of liberation movements. Mm. So in our, um, so growing up, even at home, uh, I often talk about my, my mom and dad as uh, my mom was the, was the religious, God-fearing woman. She prayed five times a day. Uh, she kept all her fasts, um, no matter what. Mm. She really, really was religious to the book, is religious to the book. Um, my dad, on the other hand, was uh, very much of the God is my co-pilot. You know, like he's my friend. <laughs> uh, so he was the, um, he, God is everywhere. And uh, uh, I don't need to do certain things to be in touch with that mm. uh, and and so even growing up there was always that sort of 
difference between religion and, and spirituality. Uh, and in many of our homes um, in, in India, this idea of uh, the divine masculine, the divine feminine or consciousness or spirituality is very much part of uh, conversation in many homes. And it mm. may not be also, uh, but it's it's in the culture. Um, so I think it's a great point you made there that it's not in schools and that itself is worth questioning. Mm. Um, I'm thinking, where did that go? Um, if it's such a big part of culture, whatever religion you're from, there is something about divinity and consciousness um, in many cultures, which mm -hmm. has separated from this modern institution of education, mm. which in India is not mine. And we inherited it. Yes. And when it came and when it was created, it was created for very specific purposes. Amongst those was the looking down upon almost on, on things that were not quote unquote written, uh, scientific. Mm. Uh, oh, no, I can see my, my finger thingies. Yes, yeah, 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 quotation And so I think there's, there's a lot that we lost in that. And part of that is, as you said, uh, instead of thinking about uh, the divine masculinity, it became about the man and patriarchy. And that's not what either you or me are talking about. What you and I are saying is all of us as human beings, all of Earth as creation has a masculine energy to it and has a feminine energy to it. Um, and one of my, my teachers, my spiritual teachers was saying that um, what you just said as well, the place we are in the world has, has toppled this balance. Mm. There's too much of the masculinity which has led to what you've said right this go 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 um and order so if we peel it back masculinity is about order it's about producing things it's about movement forward uh mm. it's about development in many ways mm -hmm. the femininity is what what allows us to say hey let's go along together let's nurture let's stop let's pause and and so it's important for this sort of um, the pausing, the gathering, the nurturing, which is feminine. That's why the feminine, the the female form, is the birth giver. Mm. But it's not possible to give birth without the masculine energy in it, right? So even yes. biologically, it had to be balanced, mm. and spiritually as well. It's this balance of energies, of pausing, gathering, taking people along. Yes. And then embracing our masculinity to move forward. Mm. Gather and we move. We gather, mm. move. But it's a dance. Yeah. And so I think we are in a time where it's lovely to hear that there, there are all of these um, projects around masculinity and around how the masculine can embrace their feminine. Because I think patriarchy has has done a disservice to a lot of boys and men and people who identify as men as well. Yeah. And it is creating space for this feminine energy, which will make us pause, which will be uncomfortable for us because even women today have internalized a lot of masculine ways of being. 
So it's work that we all need to do in honor of saying we all need to recognize that our planet, Mother Earth, uh, yeah. requires us to stop, yeah. requires us to just listen a little more. And wow. uh, I don't know if this answered your question, no, but <laughs> it was so big. I went big as well. You know, Ramad, it's wonderful. And I just feel like we we could and should do another conversation about about that specific. I'm glad I asked the question and thank you for your answer. I mean, I, I feel like we have a stripped the kind of metaphysical so much from our modern world that it's problematic, that it become people become purposeless or meaningless if it's just about, you know, the grind and the hustle, as opposed to spiritual questions for which you can be an agnostic, by the way, or even, you know, like you don't have to have a religious, you can say, what's my life for? What am I acting in service of? Those are, yeah. to me, those are spiritual questions because as the saying goes, and I can't remember who said it, you know, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Yes. Yeah. No, and um, not human beings having a spiritual experience. So there's a really interesting piece of that, like the self-transcendence that even people like, you know, Abraham Maslow were talking about later in his career as a humanistic psychologist. How do you transcend the individual to remember the collective? Yeah. It's like, you know, that we're in this all together, the really deep First Nations wisdom or system level thinking that I think is being restored and, and an integration I think, yeah. Romana, both at an individual level with a polarity within all of us, but also at the societal level. So great answer. Oh, and so much more I would love to learn from and with you on um, that. So let's tab that for next time. Um, I, have a, I have a final question for you, which is, you know, if we were to fast forward in, let's say, I like this question, you know, a child's born today while we're having this conversation. You know, and, mm. and in 18 years time, they are finishing what used to be called formal education. Maybe it's no longer called that in 18 years time. But, you know, I wonder about what kind of experience you would dream that they would have. What kind of future of education are you effectively fighting for or hoping can be co-created, especially to use your framing if we are to act as good ancestors? What does that look like for you? A future of transformed education. I would see that a, a child being being really full of of joy and and levity, and um, a child, an adult. Actually, you said eighteen. Uh -huh. uh, they would be able to. Um, they would be so sure of. of um, knowing what they know and not knowing what they don't know. Mm. I think that's a big difference from education today for a child at 18 to say, hey, today, um, this is this is how I feel. This is how I'm contributing. So today I'm going to be doing this. And this is what I'm learning. You know, I'm in this pursuit of figuring out how I can be of service in the world. And mm. this, this strength I have of... Um, of being able to visualize a, a future and I can create art out of that and communicate stories. So that's what I'm doing today. Mm. Um, and it's okay. Mm. I would imagine that we don't ask that child, what are you going to do in 10 years? Because <laughs> when he gets there, he'll know it. Um, so I guess a, a education transform, transformed would be one that's that really honors the present, 
that honors um, every child as as being whole and and on this ongoing journey of self discovery. Mm. And in that um, is youth that really feel connected to that uh, that unity. So being connected within, you know, being able to say, "Here's here's how I'm feeling right now," mm. uh, and how are you? you know, I can feel your pain, I, and I'm curious. Can I be there for you? Uh, mm. I think those those three would be um, how they would show up. I think in in a, a life and joyful and really tuned in mm. young person beautiful oh wow thank you very much Ramana it's a it's a beautiful yeah to speak that into existence you know <laughs> it's a lovely way to end our conversation today you know one that's really focused on system presence um self-discovery spirituality you know I think yeah, some of those really powerful things that make us most human. Um, yeah, and I certainly feel like quite zen having spoken to you as well, Ramana. I think your energy is such, even the 10 second pause, I was like, wow, that's a, yeah, we are moving very fast and very quickly. And so how do we ground and then still contribute optimally? Um, but a beautiful reflection on Education Transformed from Mumbai. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Luca. And just want to say thanks to all of the teachers I've had that have made it possible for me to speak what I've learned from them. And uh, yeah, thank you for giving me this space. Mm -hmm.